Good to see you. Thanks for coming out in the house of God today. Beautiful day outside. We're thrilled that you're here and our online community's checking out. And I just want them to hear us and welcome them wherever they're at. We get stories every week, crazy stuff, Mexico and all over where people are watching us and let's welcome them. Great to have you guys. All right, good to have you. Thanks for being here. Hey, I'm not a Trekkie, okay? I'm not a Star Trek guy. I know there's some Trekkies out there. So this past Wednesday, yesterday was a big day for you because your man, a 90-year-old William Shatner, a.k.a. Captain Kirk, blasted up into space, went on Jeff Bezos's, uh, uh, I guess it's called a spacecraft of some sort, went on the edge of space, checked it out, and then parachuted back. And if you had a chance to watch his interview, he said it was the most amazing experience of his whole life. And his hope was that everybody would get a chance to do that. So, for a few million dollars you can do it, but most of us will never be able to see that experience. But it blew him away to be able to see that. I, I wonder if Neil Armstrong had the same sentiment when he went up. Neil Armstrong on July, if you remember that month, years ago, 1969, the 20th of the month, where Neil Armstrong is the first guy uh, to come out of that uh, 11 lunar module and walk on the moon. And those of you who are a thousand years old, like I am, you can remember what he said. And some of you only read about it at some point, but let's look at it. Everybody remember this? Jumps on the moon. Let's say it together. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And that phrase became known historically everywhere in all places. What legend tells us though, and legend is almost always untrue, or at least partly untrue. Legend has told us for years that as soon as Armstrong said that, he also said another line, and the line was this, good luck, Mr. Gorski. And NASA asked him, did you say, could you say that again? He said it again, they asked him what it was about, he never answered it. For years, he never answered that. And people thought that probably he had some kind of a competition with maybe some Russian cosmonaut about who was going to be on the, on the moon first, and he never would answer it. People would ask him, what did that mean? He would just smile and not answer. And then legend, again legend, tells us that one year before Armstrong died, he was teaching at a conference down in Tampa, and a reporter brought that up. And they said, what did you mean by that? And Armstrong said, well, I can finally tell the story. He said, Mr. Gorski is now dead, and I never wanted to say it, never wanted to embarrass him while he was alive, but I can tell the story now. And Armstrong went on to say that he was born in the Midwest, and he was playing baseball as a little boy back in those days with his buddy, and the baseball went over into their neighbor's yard. He said, it went over to my next door neighbor's yard, Mr. and Mrs. Gorski. And he said, so I ran over to get the baseball, and I'm a little boy, and I still remember this, and it was back in the 1930s, and he said, their window was open, and Mr. and Mrs. Gorski were in an argument with each other. 
and he was listening to it as he picked up the ball, and he heard Mr. Gorski say, baby, <laughs> I just want some loving. I just want some loving. And she responded to him, you want loving? The way you've been treating me, you want loving? You're gonna get loving when the kid next door walks on the moon. And he remembered that, and he thought, well, maybe tonight's gonna turn out well for him as well. Now, that's legend, which is probably not true, but man, it hits at the core of a mighty, powerful, single truth that is contained in that story. And here it is, all of us wanna be loved. Everybody wants to be loved. Old, young, rich, poor, male, female, everybody wants to know that somebody loves me. And in 1967, a cry went out to the Beatles asking them, would you create a song that all the people of all the earth will be able to understand and grab hold of. And John Lennon sat down and wrote the song lyrics to all you need is love. And the rest of that became history. All nations understood it. All nations fell in love with it because all people of all places need to know that somebody loves me. Now I got to thinking about that last summer and I, I came up with this idea because I kind of been around the block a few times and I kind of run into people all the time that are just kind of wanting to know, am I loved, does somebody love me? I, I just thought, let's take, let's take a little bit of time here at Eastside and let's remind people that you are loved by God more than you will ever know in all of your life. And I think all of us kind of wrestle with that once in a while, gang. I know a lot of people from a lot of places that I've met. I know myself in some of my darkest moments that I think everybody in a private way from time to time wrestles with the idea, can God really love somebody like me? And if you're honest with yourself, you've probably had moments where you've wrestled with that. And I want you to know that the resounding answer to that is yes, yes. And we wanna take a few weeks here at Eastside. We're just gonna have fun with it for about three weeks. And we're gonna show you some places in the Bible that describe the incredible, amazing, off-the-wall love that God has for people like me and you. Now, as we jump into that this weekend, we're gonna start with one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. I'm asked that all the time. What's your favorite verse in the, ver in the Bible? What's your favorite story in the Bible? And what I'm gonna teach about this weekend, starting right now, is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. It is so much of a favorite story of mine that I look back and I find it making its way into probably a couple sermons of mine every single year. This story, incredible story about the love of God is an old, old story. It's been around for 2,800 years. And really the story comes down to only two people that are described for us in the Bible. One of them is a man and one of them is a woman. The man's name is Hosea, 
And you might recognize the name Hosea because there's a book in the Bible with his name on it. We're gonna talk about that book here in a minute. And the other character in this story is a woman by the name of Gomer. And so you've got these two people in the Bible, a man named Hosea and a woman named Gomer. Now, I know a lot of you are going to have to work through that name Gomer, aren't you, huh? Because your mind is going to Gomer Pile right now. In a Shazam! That's where you're at. But the Gomer in this story is anything but some kind of innocent, dumb-sounding guy from years gone by. In fact, the Gomer in this story is a female. And when you open up your Bible and you start looking at this incredible story about this man named Hosea and this woman named Gomer who get married, and God says, I want you to make sure you catch this. God says, I want to use your marriage to teach people for all time of what it means to be loved by God. Now, if you're married, you may never have known that, but you need to have that settle on you right now. One of the strongest biblical purposes of marriage is that you become a visible evidence of how God loves people and how people love him. That is one of the highest purposes of marriage. And so God takes this story of Hosea and Gomer and he brings them together. Hosea was a preacher in the days of the Old Testament. And God went to Hosea one time and he said, I got a very unusual job for you, Hosea. Here's the deal. He said, now you know, Hosea, you know that my people Israel, the nation of Israel, you know that they turn their backs on me all the time. They live in ways that they ought not live. They constantly are walking away from me. They believe in gods that aren't even real gods. And it breaks my heart. It absolutely breaks my heart what they do. So Isaiah, here's what I want to do. I've got this idea, and I can see God communicating this to Jose. He goes, I got this idea. I want you to go marry this lady. And I want your marriage then to be an example, a show, a display of how I love people. And God says, Jose, here's, here's what I'm thinking. And this is really important. God says, here's what I'm thinking, Jose. That if they can watch you guys get along in a marriage and see how much I love you, if they can get that, then I think that's going to break their heart. And they're going to start loving me like they ought to love me. And so that story unfolds itself in this beautiful expose of the Old Testament in the book of Hosea. So Hosea, here's the deal. Mary Gomer and your love for Gomer is going to be an example of my love for people. And the way she responds to you is going to be an example of that also. So really the story comes down to this. Why don't you look at this? As Hosea loves Gomer, so God loves us the same way. And as Gomer loves Hosea, so we love God. So marriage becomes an example of that. So what I want to do with you today is I want to I talk to this story and show it in light of this here. 
I want to spend a little bit of time about Hosea and Gomer coming together as husband and wife, and that displays for us how God loves us, okay? So let me break into the story. It's in chapter one of the book of Hosea, and I'll put it up here on the screen. I want to read the first three verses. They set the stage for the whole story. Hosea chapter one, verse one, reads like this. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Bereshi, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, who were the kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. Now, whenever you read something like that in the Old Testament, all these names, the reason for that is it is dating the story. It's telling us when it happened. And so all those guys were kings of those places around, real general, about 750 B.C. So we're talking about 2,800 years or so ago. And then the next two verses tell us the story and start to show us how God loves us. Because the way that Hosea is going to love Gomer is going to show us the way God loves us. So verse 2, watch this. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. And so he married Gomer, daughter of Dipline, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now, what we're finding in this first verse is I want you to understand that God loves people. We're going to see this in the story. I want you to see this, that God loves people who have dirty closets. And I want you to hold on to that for a second. Now, I want you to think about this. I don't know if you caught it. If you're not familiar with the book of Hosea, you might be thinking right now, I don't know what I just heard him read. I don't know about that. If you've never heard Hosea, did you see what happened? is God said, Hosea, I want you to go marry, listen, listen, I want you to go marry a prostitute. I want you to go marry a lady who is an adulteress. She has a propensity to be unfaithful. She's had multiple men, and God said, Hosea, I want you to go marry that lady. Now, it is really important you let that settle on you so that you understand the story here that's happening. I want you to really think about that. I'm going to go marry an adulteress. I'm going to go marry prostitute. I'm going to marry somebody who's unfaithful. Now, here's how crazy that is. Watch this. Have you ever had to choose a doctor, okay? You ever had, oh, I got to go find a doctor, okay? If you've never had to do that, let me tell you, as an old guy, you're going to. Okay, it's going to happen. And so when you got to find a doctor, how do you find a doctor? Here's how you find a doctor. You usually ask your friends, hey, you got a doctor? You know a doctor does this? And you ask people about doctors. And let's say you're asking somebody about a doctor, and your friend says, well, I'll tell you about doctor so-and-so. I'm going to tell you about him. I went to his office. I waited about four hours to get in there. I get in there. The guy gives me medicine, makes me sicker than I was when I first go. Who hears that and goes, that's exactly the kind of doctor I'm looking for. Nobody does that. 
Or what do you do if you want to you go out at a restaurant? You want to go to a new place, okay? I'm looking for a new place. Looking for some place that, you know, they got great food and service is awesome. Ambiance is beautiful. Anybody know? And so what do we do? I see y'all. You put it on Facebook. Anybody know any good restaurants? And let's say one of your friends calls you and says, don't go to the new joint down there on the corner. Don't go down there. We went down there, man. The food was cold. The waitress was in a bad mood. The cost was terrible. Who hears that and goes, I think I'm going to give it a shot. Nobody does that. So watch this. And this is for the guys in the room, okay? Just the guys. Ladies, just close up for a second, okay? Guys, okay? Let's say that one of your buddies has his eye on a girl at work. And he comes to you and says, hey, I've been kind of looking at this girl over here, man. And I'm thinking maybe I might ask her out. What do you think? Do you know her? And your buddy says, do I know her? Everybody knows her. All the guys know her. Everybody knows her. She's been married five times. Every time she gets married, she gets her eyes on somebody else. She leaves. Yeah, we all know her. Who hears that and goes, that is exactly the kind of wife I'm looking for. Nobody does. What in the world was God trying to do when he said, Hosea, I want you to go marry Gomer. Gomer? What was God trying to say? Here's what God was trying to say. God was trying to say that I love people even when there is dirt in their closets. Now let's just camp out there for a second. There are very few people in this room. In fact, I don't know if there's anybody in this room who doesn't have some dirt in your closet. And I'm telling you, the guy talking with you right now has plenty of dirt in mind. And sometimes those are things we can talk about and we can work through, and sometimes they are so embarrassing that you don't want anybody to know about. And sometimes the dirt in the closet was a momentary slip of knowledge and wisdom on your part, and other times it was an extended season of rebellion. And maybe it happened a long, long time ago, or maybe it's still going on right now. And there are very few people in this room that don't have any dirt in the closet. And the Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. You know what that means? That means he is constantly reminding you. You think God loves you? Remember that night? Remember what you did there? Remember what you were thinking this morning? He constantly does that to the brethren. Who are the brethren? The followers of God. That he constantly reminds us that there's dirt in our closet. And one of the reasons why I love this story so much in the Bible is because that reality is reality for a whole lot of Christian people. And it beats us down. And every once in a while you get hung up into it and you wonder, could God love somebody like me? And God says the answer is absolutely. I want you to hear this about the love of God in your life. I want you to hear this and see it. Watch this. Your dirty closet doesn't scare God away. Your dirty closet doesn't scare God away. 
And that's one of the reasons why God asked Hosea that that's the woman I want you to marry because people want to know, people need to know, I'm going to love you no matter what's in your past. Now, if that doesn't kind of wake you up and think, man, nobody loves me like that, nobody. In fact, everybody who knows about my dirty closet, they keep bringing up my dirty closet. And God loves me in spite of that. If that doesn't kind of rattle you, watch this. God also loves people who walk away. People who are moving away from him. When I saw this in the story, I just got to explain to you and confess, I couldn't help but laugh because it made me think, I'm going to show you in the text here in a minute, about the first time that I tried to steal a kiss from my girlfriend, who is now my wife, okay? And we joke about it now. Uh, we joke about years later. But I don't know, second, third date, something like that. And we were at that awkward moment. And guys in the room, you know what? I'm talking about, okay? She's at her house, and I'm leaving the house, and you're leaving, and it's that awkward, you know, what do I do? What do I do? Handshake, you know? Do you do that? Um, do you say, hey, later, catch you later? I don't know. I wish it was COVID. We could have just fist bumped and moved on, and it was a weird, you know what I'm talking about, guys, and I, because I'm a pig, I just said, shoot, I'm going for it, and so I went in for the attack, and I closed my eyes, and I puckered up, and man, I, bam, right in there, and she wasn't ready for it, and she did one of these numbers, and I kissed the wall right behind her, okay? Now, I, we still laugh about that now. I got in the car, and man, I remember that. I'm sitting in the car going, what do I do with that? What, what in the world do you do with that? I mean, do you keep pursuing somebody who's not pursuing you? What do you, what do, you do with that? And I, I didn't know what to do with that. And I just, I thought, man, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep pursuing. And finally, you know, finally she gave in and, and kissed me. And now 39 years later, I can't get the woman off of me. But anyway, that's, um, <laughs> that's, not, that's not written here. That's not there. Now, now watch this, watch this. In the story of Hosea and Gomer, you're in the first chapter and you're going, man, this is beyond even thinking here, okay? Go marry her, are you, why? Because God is okay with dirty closets, okay? Doesn't scare him away. And so you keep reading the story and you get all the way to the third chapter. And so Hosea and Gomer are married, you know, this weird, Union between a preacher and a prostitute, married now. And then chapter three, verse one, check this out, look at it. The Lord said to me, be, be astute here, be, be, be perceptive here. Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Now stop. Something happened between chapter one and chapter three. He marries her in chapters one because he wants to be able to be an example. God's not afraid of dirty closets, okay? And we get to chapter three and she's already left him. Somebody go, duh, okay? You were unfaithful before, you're probably gonna keep on being unfaithful. And now she's gone. And what God tell him to do? I want you to go get her. I want you to go get her. I want you to go love her. What God is trying to say 
is that when we walk away from him, when we reject him, when we turn away from him, that doesn't scare him away. He still loves them. That was a powerful message to those in Israel. They knew exactly what that was talking about because the Israelites were people notorious for being with God today and away from God tomorrow. To follow God right now, but next month, I'm following something else. They knew all about that, that there were periods in their life where they were turning away from God. They were not following God. They were chasing God. And God wanted them to know that he still loves them. Now, let me share the obvious here. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna get down into business, okay? I'm gonna get down into your world. And I want you as best you can right now to think that there's only two people in this whole room, me and you, and I'm talking to you. It could be the same thing, you up here and you're talking to me, but I want you to kind of get the thoughts of nobody else is here. You're the only person that's hearing this. I want you to hear the obvious. Every single person is either walking toward God or you're walking away from him. Faith is never stationary. It's always moving somewhere. And when you are obedient and when you're moving toward him, when you're following his word, when you're loving him in a deeper way than you did yesterday, when you're serving in his kingdom, when you are faithful to worship with his family, you know in your heart that God loves you. Those are glorious times. But when you're not moving toward him, when you're up and down, you're with him today and you're not with him tomorrow. You're following him this month and next month you're rebelling against him. You're loving him right now. You're not even thinking about him tomorrow. You're in church today. Tomorrow we don't even see you. And when you're in that up and down and there's these periods where you are walking away, the question is, does God love you at that moment? And we're being in your business right now because there are many of you in this room right now who may be there where you say, Dave, really, I'm, I'm kind of walking away. I'm kind of backpedaling. I've not been really chasing him lately. I've just been kind of hanging out. And there's a lot of you that are there. And, and, and if, you're, if you're dealing with that and you're hearing it right now, I want you, I want you to know this, that he's still passionately loves you. That he doesn't come to the point where he said, I've had all of it. I'm not gonna deal with it anymore. No, what happens? He says, I want you, Gomer, to go, or, or Jose, to go get your, your wife, Gomer, who has left you again. Because I'm never gonna stop loving her. And now you're kind of at this point where you're starting to say, man, I don't know who loves me that way. I don't know anybody who loves me even when they know about the dirty closet. And I don't know anybody who loves me when I'm not fulfilling my part of the deal here and I'm walking away and I'm reject. I don't know anybody loves me. I want you to know that God does. And if that doesn't cause something in you to think that this God must be something pretty special, let me show you one more thing about his love that comes up in this relationship. And it's this, that God loves people who cost extra. 
people who cost him more than maybe other people who cost him. God is willing to pay double and triple and quadruple anything it takes to get our affection. Anybody know what an EGR is? Anybody know that? It's called extra grace required. That's what that's called. An EGR is a person, they just need a little extra pampering, okay? They need a little extra grace. They're a little more demanding than other people. They are masters of drama, and you kind of want to punch them in the nose or walk away, but you can't do that. They are EGRs. You got to be tender. You got to walk on eggshells. You got to be nice and kind and all that kind of... Some of y'all married to EGRs, but if they're sitting next to you, don't look at them. Keep looking at me right now, okay? Because they don't know they're an EGR. EGRs never know that. Here's the greatest EGR story I've ever heard. And it's an old story, made a lot of, a lot of traction. And uh, this guy is uh, checking out uh, his luggage and stuff. He's going to take this flight. And he's at the counter, and he gave him the luggage, and uh, there's problems, man. Um, the flight is going to be late, and they don't have his, his uh, identification in the system. And the lady's just kind of acting like she don't know. And this guy is losing his mind. He's calling her incompetent. I can't believe you even got a job. And he's yelling at her and throwing out names. And she just kind the whole time. I'm sorry, sir. We're trying to help you, sir. We're doing everything we can, sir. And he was just an EGR going off. Finally, he left. The next guy came up and he said to the lady, you are unbelievably kind. I want to commend you for being so nice to that guy. He was so, how are you so nice? She said, it's really simple. He's flying to Chicago, his bags are going to go to Los Angeles, okay? That's what people want to do with EGRs, all right? Now watch what happens here. Watch this. In the story, in the story, Gomer then goes and, and, and is unfaithful, and he's with some, she's with somebody else. God says, Jose, go get her, even though she's going away from you. And then we find this out about this. She became the slave of the guy she was with. She became his property. And so when Hosea went to get her, now he couldn't just say, come on home, Gomer, where you belong. He didn't have to do that. He had to buy his wife from her now master owner. He had to buy what was already his. And so this verse comes up in the second verse of that chapter. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. And that was a mode, a means of commerce at that time. The point is, is that he said, dude, I not only got to bring her home, I got to buy what really belongs to me. Why did that happen? Why is that important to know occurring 750 years before Jesus came to the earth? Because God was saying, listen, that's what I'm going to do for you. Because I made you and I created you. And you can read beautiful Psalms in the Old Testament where God said, I knitted you together and you were mine. And the devil stole us 
God said, the only way I can have you back is that I must buy you. A picture of the purchase price upon every person on this world when his son dies on a cross through the payment of his blood that God buys back what already belongs to him and he did that for you. So watch this, watch. You arrive at the third chapter and you're starting to see why this crazy story in the Old Testament is there because God just wants people to know that I love you. I love you more than anybody will ever love you. There's dirt in your closet. I don't care, I still love you. You tend to walk away from me and have seasons where you're away and where you're cold and where you're not connected. I still love you. You have uh, this thing about your life that you've been allured by Satan and now live for the world and my son had to die on a cross. I'll go ahead and pay the extra cost because I love you. And the power of this story in Hosea is that every single person in this room can walk out of here and say that God loves me more than I ever dreamed that he loved me. And most of us would like right now to pray, go home, and be overwhelmed about how loving and caring God is to us. But we can't do that because the story's not over. And I shared with you that the whole message of their union, their marriage, was so that as we watch Hosea love Gomer, we can learn that's how God loves us. But the rest of the story is now how Gomer will now love Hosea. And that's how we are to love God. And as soon as Hosea is paying for her, as soon as he buys her, and now she's back again, he has a come to Jesus moment with his wife. And he looks her in the eye and he says this to her. Check this out. I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I will live with you. And what is happening at this point is that Hosea is now beginning to express the expectation that God has on people. When he loves us this way, this is what God wants in return. And we tend to forget that, gang. Christian people tend to forget that. We tend to love the idea that we have a graceful, forgiving, compassionate God. And we just live in that. And we tend to get easy and soft with all that and believe anything can happen in our life and he'll always continue to love us. And the power of the truth is, is that grace demands a response from you. And if you would look at this text, I believe there's a couple of words that I can see Hosea repeating over and over to Gomer. In my simple way of summarizing this, I look at this guy looking at his wife saying, here's the deal. It is time to shape up. It is time to give me what I've been giving you. And there's a couple words that he probably said over and over. Here's the first word. Me, me, 
What Hosea was saying to Gomer is that I am the only devotion in your life, me. That's what God is saying to you and I. That when you love God because he loves you the way he does, no one or no thing is elevated to an equal importance with him. Only God holds the top seat. Only God trumps everything in your life. He trumps your wants, your schedule, your opinions, even your family. It is him and him alone. And so let me ask you this. If you understood tonight how much God loves you in an incredible way, can you look at him and say, my whole life, first and foremost, is to you? Can you say that? I believe the second word that he emphasized over and over is the word many. What he was saying to Gomer at that point is no more of this on again and off again stuff. No more of this in and out stuff. No more of this on and off stuff. No more of this hot and cold stuff. We're talking long haul here. We're talking I will be your master. I will be your Lord. Now forever. So when you start loving God because he loves you, there's a commitment to it. There's a perseverance to it. The game is not over until you get to heaven. None of this up and down stuff. None of this on today, off tomorrow stuff. And you know if you've fallen into that. You know if you have. And so I'd ask you to look at that and ask yourself, have I persevered? Have I stuck with my commitments with God and his kingdom and my service? Or am I in and out, up and down, on and off? What Hosea told Gomer is, we're not going to do that anymore. Incredible love and passion from God that nobody loves you that way. And he expects you and I to love him like we love nobody else. Now, what that means is we can't live our life to where we say, well, we're kind of close to it, okay? We're kind of close to it. I think my favorite joke of all time is the accounting office at the University of Kentucky who had a job opening for a student to count uh, ballots and be involved in that. And so there was only one question on the application. The student body showed up. They could all take applications for the job. One question, what is four times four? And this poor sophomore sat there and he thought about it and he multiplied it in his mind. He had all of his UK attire on, all calling upon the power of the cats. And he wrote his answer down, 17. He got out in the car, he took his phone, opened up the calculator. Doggone, I missed my one. Didn't get the job. Later that night, they called him and said, hey, you got the job. He said, I ought to get the job. You were the closest. Okay, that does not work. In the kingdom of God. I'm sorry, UK people, man. You're having a great year. Deal with it, okay? Here's the deal. I don't know about y'all. I preach most of the time for me. If you happen to get in the, the direction of the gunfire, that's your issue. I preach most of the time to me. And when it all comes down to it, and I look at this story that I love and talk about so many times, there's a whole lot of my days where I settle 
just to be close. Just to be close to it. And grace will cover everything else. And maybe it will. But Hosea looked at Gomer and said, we're done with close. We're done with close. How about you? Who here is done with just being close? Father, I thank you for your word. I love the stories in the Bible. I love the truths that are told to us when we dive down into them. I love that they never get old. Every time I'm reminded of Hosea's marriage to Gomer, every single time, to me it's like it's fresh and new and I'm reminded again about how important it is that I make you the single most important thing in my life and I never walk away from that, I never waver in that. And forgive me for the times that I do. And I settle for close when you deserve so, so much more. So I pray that your spirit will help us wrestle through that. And um, if there's anybody here in this room who would confess the same thing I've confessed right now, may your Holy Spirit softly, gently, but yet surely, call them to a life of being all into it. And I pray that in the power of the name of Jesus. Amen.